turn to Acts chapter uh, 28, and this is it. 68 weeks in a mini-series in the book of Acts. 68 weeks. Uh, who's, who's counting, you know? But it has been, <laughs> yeah, it has been, um, it's been kind of bittersweet, honestly, um, because I have really enjoyed uh, this, this series, um, looking at how uh, Jesus continued leading, empowering, equipping his people for his work, and how when faithful men and women, when the church is faithful, how we can see God being glorified and the church grows and multiplies. So my heart is kind of broken that we're going to be wrapping this up. Um, next week we're going to be starting a, an actual mini-series, um, five weeks through the five slogans of the Reformation. And for those of you who have no idea what uh, the five slogans of the Reformation or the five solas of the Reformation, all the more reason for you to show up. Um, but walking through, what does it mean uh, to be part of a Reformed church or have a Reformed worldview or Reformed perspective of Scripture? It's talking about our lens. And then after that, we will be uh, uh, walking through a, another mini-series and finally move on to our next mega-series through the book of Exodus and encountering Jesus in the Old Testament, which testified all about Him. So... Uh, Acts 28. Let's read this together. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and, and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and was fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also greatly honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that, was, that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up and on the second day, we came to Putuli. There, we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. 
And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when, heard, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apius and three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldiers that guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had, had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak to you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and, and none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it, has, it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced about what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, through, the Isaiah, through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it known to, be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Giacomo Puccini. Name ring a bell? Any, any classic, classical music listeners? Giacomo Puccini was uh, a great composer whose operas numbered probably in, in the most well-known in the world. And after he was struck with cancer in 1922, he was determined to write his last and final opera, his best. His best opera was known as Torando. Which, is, which some people still consider to be of the highest caliber. As his illness grew worse, his students implored him to just rest. You're a sick man, just rest. And to save his strength. But what did he do? He persisted. He kept on going. At one point he remarked, if I do not finish my music, my students will finish it. In 1924, Puccini went to Brussels because his cancer had gotten so bad he needed surgery. And after two days after his surgery, he died. 
His students did finish Toronto, and in 1926, the premiere was held in Milan under the baton of Puccini's favorite student, Arturo Toscanini. All went brilliantly until they came to the point in the score where their teacher, their teacher, Puccini, was forced to put down his pen. Toscanini, his face wet with tears, stopped the production, put down his baton, turned to the audience and cried out, Thus far the master wrote, but he died. After a few moments, he composed himself and a big smile came on his face and he picked up the baton and cried out again to the audience, but his disciples finished the work and they completed the opera. Puccini was right. His disciples would finish the work. The book of Acts is the story of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. The work that he began was completed by his disciples who were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. When we come to the book of, end of the book of Acts, Paul leaves us with the Apostle Paul preaching the gospel in the capital of this empire. So in one sense, it had gone to the ends of the earth and without hindrance to the end. So in one sense, it, it had been accomplished. The gospel had gone to one of the most remotest parts of the world for Paul and, and the Jewish people. And yet in another sense, Luke leaves the story wide open and ongoing. Jesus' followers have been carrying on this mission for nearly 2,000 years, and it is not yet fully accomplished. We know that in one day in heaven, there will be some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation whom Jesus purchased for God with his blood. And there have been tremendously encouraging uh, examples for the case of world missions in the past few years, even in the past 50 years. For example, listen to this. Every eight seconds, somewhere in the world, another person indicates their decision to follow Jesus after watching what is called the Jesus film. How many of you have ever seen the Jesus film? Can I just encourage you? Watch it. It's a simple uh, depiction of the life of Christ. Every eight seconds, somebody indicates that they, they have followed Jesus Christ after watching him. Eight seconds. That is 10,800 people per day. 324,000 people per month. And 3.8 people, million people, 3.8 million people per year from watching a film. If you think about it, that's like the population of the entire Lincoln Way area coming to Christ every 6.4 days from watching a film. The Jesus film since 1979, which is well before many of you were born, more than 200 men, 200 million men, women, and children worldwide have indicated decisions to follow Jesus after 
watching the Jesus film. And in addition, through hundreds of other partners, an estimated 10 plus million decisions have been made as a film Jesus is used extensively by the body of Christ throughout the world. And yet, listen to this, yet there are still over 6,000 people groups compromising more than 2.5 billion people who have little to no access to the gospel. 2.5 billion people today who have little to no access to the gospel. So as his church, we have the privilege of joining Jesus in accomplishing his purpose of being glorified in the nations. In that sense, the book of Acts is still being written. Acts 28 shows us how God accomplishes his mission. And how does he do it? God accomplishes his mission, his great commission, by protecting, providing for, and uh, empowering his servants who obediently proclaim the gospel to all people. That's how God accomplishes the Great Commission. By protecting, empowering, providing for men, women, and children who obediently proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to all people. Alexander McLaren, a Baptist, yes, a Baptist put it this way, wonderfully, showing us a Christian's place in the world. He said this, we are an object of divine care, and a medium of divine blessing. That's who we are. We are God's objects of divine care and God's objects, a medium of his divine blessing. So how does God do this? He accomplishes it by protecting, protecting us, providing for us, and empowering each and every servant. Paul and Luke and, oh my gracious, um, Aristarchus, sorry, discovered that they were shipwrecked on this small island of Malta. This, this island is just a small speck in the middle of the sea. It's only 18 miles wide, long, only about 8 miles wide, and located some 60 miles south of Sicily. They were in the middle of nowhere just plopped down in the middle of nowhere. It was cold, it was rainy, and these men were wet from swimming ashore. And the natives showed them extraordinary kindness by, by kindling a bonfire and eventually helping them find lodging through the winter. This, these verses that are going to show us that God cares for his people. First, how does he care for us? He cares for them by protecting his servants. Paul was not above mundane tasks. He went about gathering up kindling, gathering up wood. It was cold. It was wet. So more than likely, this little reptile was stuck in the middle of this wood, not moving very fast because it was cold-blooded. And when it started warming up, what happened? It got him. And I loved how, how the natives kind of just sat back. Did you kind of pick that up? They just kind of sat back, and they were waiting. Apparently, justice did not get him in the sea. <laughs> Can't escape justice, buddy. And they were waiting to see if he was just going to get sick and explode from the, from the venom or if he was just going to fall over and die. They waited 
but nothing happened. Clearly, the natives have witnessed the effects of such poisonous snakes before. And Luke tells the story to show how God miraculously protected Paul. Here's the beautiful thing. Nothing. Not a shipwreck and not a poisonous snake will thwart, slow down, do anything to God's purpose until his mission is done. Not even a snake. So God protects his people, but he also provides for his servants. God provided for his servants through the unusual hospitality of the natives in Malta. Pubulus, the leading man of the island, entertained 276 men. I don't know if you've ever entertained men at a Super Bowl party let alone 276 of them, many of which were soldiers and sailors, plus prisoners. These men showed extraordinary hospitality. And then, not only hospitality for three days, what did he do? He found them lodging for the entire winter. And as the men left the island, the islanders gave them many gifts and supplies. They loaded up the ship with whatever they needed. God also provided for Paul through a week of fellowship with the believers in Putili. After about 150 miles south of Rome. So as Paul was coming closer to Rome, Paul was provided for. The centurion was especially kind to allow Paul to visit these saints. God further provided through the Christians who came out as far as the market of Apius, which is some 44 miles away from Rome. And I want you to think about that. For us, 44 miles, you know, if we're driving a good pace, we'll, we'll get there in no time flat. These men and women walked 44 miles and greeted him. Plus then there was the... Uh, the, taver- the three taverns, which is 33 miles. And they, what, what did they do? They escorted Paul into the city. Can you imagine what the rest of the travelers in Paul's company thought when they saw these people welcoming this prisoner? And not only welcoming him, but they viewed him as an important dignitary that must be ushered into the city. And Paul thanked God and took courage when he saw these Christians whom he longed to see for several years. God also provided for Paul by permitting him to stay alone. Paul could have stayed in a a Roman prison, but he was permitted to, to stay alone with a soldier guarding him in rented quarters. So through the generous gifts of of the church in Philippi and others, Paul's financial needs were met. And the beautiful thing is, Paul is not a unique case. If you read missionary biographies, you will find story after story after story of how God meets the personal and financial needs of all of his servants who are taking the gospel to the remotest parts of the world. God also accomplishes his great commission by empowering his servants. Although Luke was the physician, the well-known physician on, in this story, and the, the author, the Lord used Paul to heal 
miraculously heal many of the sick people in Malta. The first was the father of Publius. He had a fever and dysentery. And what many uh, scholars believe is that uh, this fever and dysentery is very common on the island of Malta. And in 1887, scientists discovered that um, this fever and dysentery came from Maltese goat milk that had a special bacteria in them. That's a, that's a part of the story. But Paul, through laying on of hands and praying for these people, many people were healed through Paul's ministry. And while the gift of healing, to an extent that we see here, may have been limited to the apostles, I've read many stories of miracles through modern-day missionaries. God seems to grant miracles to a greater degree on the frontiers of the gospel where people need the powerful authentication of its truthfulness. Listen to this story about Bruce Wilson. Bruce Wilson was a farm boy from Minnesota. And at the age of 19, with no support and no contacts, he wanted to take the gospel to the murderous Matalone tribe in the jungles of South Africa. They shot him. When he arrived, they shot him with arrows, but he survived. At one point, he was far into the jungle, suffering badly from hepatitis, when two men in an oil company helicopter who were out on a joyride over the dangerous Matalone territory, they spotted, of all things, a blonde man in the clearing below. One of the men turned out to be a doctor whom Olson knew from years before, and they took him to a hospital where the doctor said that in six hours he would have been dead. They also told him that he would be in treatment for over six months, and his liver was so permanently damaged that he would never go back into the jungle again. But Olson knew that God wanted him to go to the Maltolone tribe. And so he told the doctors, you're wrong. I am going back. Three weeks later, he was released. And a week after that, he walked his way back into the jungle. The world would say, I'm not sure if you're, you're passionate about this or if you're just plain stupid. But he so believed that God had called him to this tribe that he walked back into the jungle on his third day back into the jungle, he began to feel dizzy. The chest pains returned. His urine was dark. And as he fell asleep that night, feeling terrible, he prayed, Father, you brought me here to work with the Montalone Indians. Please, God, heal my body. The next morning, he woke up feeling fine. No more pain. His urine was clear. And he made it back to the Montalones where he could see God do many more miracles. According to Bruce Olson, the greatest miracle he has seen, he says, has been the changed lives of the Motolones through the power of the gospel. The story is a modern example of how God accomplishes the great commission of protecting, providing for, and empowering his servants. But God accomplishes his great commission also through his servants who obediently proclaim the gospel to all people. It seems odd that Luke never reports that Paul preached the gospel on Malta. 
nor does he report any major conversions, other than the fact that Luke is pressing quickly towards his conclusion in Rome. I don't know why he omits these important details, but I, I can think we, we can assume that Paul, who never missed an opportunity to tell others about Christ, was not silent for these three months. When he finally got to Rome, what did Paul do? He quickly summoned all the Jewish leaders together and, and he said, listen, I, I want to explain why I'm here. I want it to be clear why I am here. And it seems strange that these Jewish leaders had never really heard about Paul or really too much about the, this new religion, this strange sect. So they set up a day. Paul spent the entire day testifying about the kingdom of God, which refers not to only Jesus' future reign, the kingdom of God, but also to the gospel, which brings his people under his rule and reign. There's probably a lot, there was probably a lot of interaction back and forth, a lot of dialogue, as Paul is trying to persuade them concerning Jesus, that he was God's promised Messiah. Paul's source of authority was what? The law of Moses and the prophets. In other words, what? The Old Testament. Paul used the entire Old Testament to persuade these Jewish leaders that Jesus was Messiah. He probably took them to the text in, of Moses that described the, the Jewish uh, sacrificial system, showing them that all these sacrifices pointed towards Jesus. He would have taken them to Psalm 16, which both Paul and Peter used to show the truth of the resurrection. He no doubt took them to Psalm 22, which describes death by crucifixion, even before crucifixion was even a means of execution. He would have taken them to, to Isaiah 53, which describes the death of Jesus with amazing detail. The outcome was like every other experience that Paul had, some were persuaded. Some believed, but others would not believe, leading to a dispute between the two groups. And just before they left, Paul gave his last parting shot, quoting Isaiah 6. Now Isaiah 6 is the beautiful, it's a beautiful thing, and if you've been caught up in the 90s, kind of worship music. Maybe you've heard uh, the song, I See the Lord. I see the Lord seated on the throne, exalted. And, you know, we all get kind of weepy in this moment. But this is, this is Isaiah has this amazing, unique vision of God sitting on his throne. And the, the whole earth is filled with his glory. The, 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 temp, uh, the tabernacle, the tabernacle, the place where God was, his whole robe was filling this area, which just kind of talks about God's majesty, his kingship. He was ruling over all things, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. And Isaiah breaks out into this song, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah, after that, after this rare experience, was commissioned to preach. Can you imagine? How can you say no after being exposed to the holiness and the glory of God? You're just going, yes, I will do it. 
And the Lord spoke these words to Isaiah, warning Isaiah about what? The hardness of the heart of the people to whom he was taking this message. This important text is quoted six times in the New Testament. In Matthew 13, in Mark 4, in Luke 8, in John 12, in Romans 11, and here in this scripture. It, it, it is key for us to understand. Three of those times are in reference to the parable of the sower in the, the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are the synoptic gospels. Where Jesus explained why he spoke in parables. To conceal the truth from scoffers, but to reveal the truth to seekers. Another time, John cited it and then commented, these things Isaiah said because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. The main idea of these verses from Isaiah is this, that if people close up their hearts to God's word through his messengers, the Lord will confirm their rejection by hardening them even further. Israel had a sad history of rejecting and even killing the prophets that God sent to them. And finally and most tragically, they killed God's son. God's judgment would shortly fall on Jerusalem in A.D. 70 and the Jews would be scattered for 19 centuries. And Paul uses the quote to support his calling to take the gospel to the Gentiles, adding this, they will listen. Your hearts are going to be hardened, and God is confirming it by the further hardening of your hearts. I get that. Isaiah 6 says this is going to happen. Their hearts are going to be hardened. But listen to this. I am going to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Why? Because they will listen. God's purpose to be glorified through the preaching of the gospel to all people is his purpose. He accomplishes that purpose through God's servants' willing obedience to the Great Commission. Willing obedience. Israel should have been a light to the nations, but their idolatry and their sin caused them to fail. Hardness of heart prevents sinners from responding in faith to the gospel, but it never stops God's purposes. Just because you present the gospel to a person time and time and time and time again, and you see their heart getting hardened, it doesn't stop God's purposes in any way. No matter what. And there's this, this strange mystery that is going on here. In that sinners are always, always responsible for their stubbornness and their unbelief. Always. But if they turn in repentance and faith to the Lord, it's not their doing at all. Nothing can make a dead man, woman, or child come alive. Nothing. The only thing that changes a person, regenerates a person, makes them come alive in Christ is the working of the Holy Spirit who turns them on to the beauty of the gospel. 
In other words, we are solely responsible for our unbelief. But if we come to faith in Christ, it is solely from God so that no man, woman, or child could ever boast. So like Paul, we should commit ourselves fully to God's purpose in the Great Commission. Just as the Lord told Paul that he had many people in the city of Corinth, and therefore Paul should go on speaking so that they would come to faith, so we know that we have some from every people, every tribe, every nation, every neighborhood who are his elect. Whatever the hardships that may come, we should commit ourselves to the gospel, to all who have not heard or have not responded. Though Paul was in, in chains in Rome, the gospel was not chained. If you have your Bibles open, look, look at what the last word is in chapter 28. Look at the last two words. What, what is it? Together. Without hindrance. I love how it ends. It, the last word in the Greek is, with, or is hindrance. So it, it's, and then you get this little preposition before it saying, how did, how did the gospel go out? It went out without hindrance. There, it, it's like this, hey, here's the good news though. He might be in chains, but you know what the good news is? The gospel still went forward without hindrance. Even though he was chained, these metal things tied him up and he was right connected to a guard. The gospel went out without hindrance. Paul later wrote to Timothy, even though he was imprisoned as a criminal and said that the word of God is not imprisoned. And for that reason, Paul endured everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul endured all things for the sake of the gospel. All things. Luke never tells us the final outcome of Paul's trial or anything about his subsequent life. Many historians believe that Paul probably stayed in custody for another two years until 62 A.D., during which time he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Four books, two years. When his accusers didn't show up, they believed that he was released on default. Something that he eventually made his way to Spain, which he had so hoped to do. He probably visited again some of the churches, perhaps even seeing the Ephesian elders one more time, contrary to his early prediction. He sent Timothy there to correct the problems that were going on. He, he visited Crete and, and left Titus there to minister. And during those three years, he wrote the books, 1 Timothy and Titus. Perhaps he was betrayed by someone such as Alexander the coppersmith and was arrested again. And he was taken to Rome where he anticipated that things would not go well. And from, sec and from prison, he wrote 2 Timothy. His final memoirs. A letter to his spiritual son, Timothy. Timothy. 
at about 67 or 68 A.D., Nero executed the great apostle who fought the good fight, finished the course, kept the faith. Paul accomplished his mission. Paul accomplished his mission. Faithful to the end. Each of us needs to ask this. What about me? Every one of you. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you've been saved, you've been purchased with the blood of Christ. You are redeemed. You now have hope. You have to ask the question, what about me? Am I as committed to the great commission of Jesus Christ as I ought to be? Since God has protected and provided for me, and am I relying on His power to do all that I can to see as many people as possible reach for Christ, both locally and worldwide? Am I committed to that as much as possible? I'd be curious to poll you right now. Are you deeply committed to the Great Commission? Or are you deeply committed to your safety and security and comfort? Are you committed? Can, can, you, can you be like Paul who says, listen, I endure everything. I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may do what? Obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. I will do anything and everything just so that they may obtain salvation. Is that true for you? Is that the way that you live life? Or do you so love the gospel of Jesus Christ that you feel compelled so compelled with this mission, this great commission to go, go therefore into all the world, preaching and teaching and discipling and baptizing each and every person that you come in contact with. Are you so compelled with that gospel that nothing will stand in your way? You will endure everything. Is that true for you? If you're honest, the answer is no. The answer is no. I hope that it is growing. A growing desire to see every 6.4 days the Lincoln Way area transformed by the gospel that men, women, and children respond yes to Jesus Christ. That it has such ripple effects that it, you just laugh. You just laugh at what God is doing in this community. So I'm closing this series with six action points, six challenges. I'm not always one for, uh, here's six things that, you, you know, better life with Jesus kind of stuff, but I think these are important things for us to 
say, so what? We, we, we've come to the end of this, this 68-week series in the book of Acts, and we've seen Paul and really being faithful. And now, Paul, you're kind of pressing in on us and saying, okay, how do I have a heart for the gospel so that I am faithful to the Great Commission? Here are six ways to start birthing this fire within you to keep you encouraged, to keep you growing in the gospel so that you have a desire to share that good news with your friends, your neighbors, your children, those who are far off, so that you can financially support missionaries who are bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to the uttermost parts of the world, so that 2.5 billion people no longer have an excuse because they have not heard about Jesus. Here's number one. Ask God to burden your heart with the lost. And I'm serious. Burden your heart for the loss. Maybe that should be your number one prayer request. If you put a list. God, today would you just burden my heart for the lost. Just break me. Every time that I come in contact with this person or these people. Or every time that I think about uh, Iraq or every time I think about Israel or every time I think about New Lenox or every time I think about Frankfurt or Kankakee or Bourbon A or wherever it is that you live or what you're thinking about or every time you watch the news, your heart is just burdened for lost people. Your heart is breaking. You know that these are people who are apart from God or at least there are people in that, that neighborhood or that people in that nation or that city who are far from God and you just say, God, give me a burden for lost people. If we are apathetic about those who are perishing, we are not like Christ. Period. Jesus had compassion on the lost. He was the one who even wept over the unbelieving city of Jerusalem. Jesus wept for them. Pray for a burden. Every time... Almost to the point where you come to tears because it so breaks your heart that they, if they die today, they will be eternally separated from God and spend an eternity in hell. Second, get some training so that you can confidently share the gospel. There are many books out there that teach you how to share your faith. And this has been something that has been a burden on me of how do we as elders equip you to share your faith. Part of it is me walking through Scripture in an expositionally kind of way where we walk through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and someday, Lord willing, we get through the whole Bible. So that you know Scripture. So that you know how to lead a person to faith in Jesus Christ. So you know how to address their questions and their, their skepticism. And you can say, ah, oh, yes. I, I, I'm not playing the game of, I got gotcha, you. But I, I'm, I want to compassionately and truthfully shared the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to dispel all your, your 
your questions and your skepticism by showing you plainly Scripture. Much like, how did Paul do it with these Jewish leaders? He used the entire Old Testament. The law of Moses and the prophets. The guy knew his stuff. Did everybody respond positively? No. But he knew Scripture. Thirdly, and this has been encouraging for me, read missionary biographies. Read them. The thrilling story of those who have taken the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth will strengthen your faith and will encourage you to get on board behind missionaries. Read their stories. Read about them. Read about Jim Elliott and the men who took, gave their lives taking the gospel to the, to the Aka Il, it, Indians and finally died as a martyr. Read about Amy Carmichael, George Mueller, da David Livingston, Judson, Hudson Taylor, William Carey, and many others. Read about these missionaries of old who, who gave up every. Bruce Olson, at the age of 19, left the security of Minnesota. Nothing happens in Minnesota. And he gave up that security, took the gospel without any financial support, without any contacts. He went to South America and gave his life for the gospel. If that does not get your blood flowing and your heart beating... Check for a pulse. Something is wrong. Fourth, pray for world missions. And I'm going to encourage you, start with the ones that we support. Pray for John and Missy Camiola. Joss, Nigeria. Pray for them. Even if you have never met them, pray for them. They are ambassadors for Christ. And we are sending them financially and with our prayers. Pray for world missions. Pray for, for those, those areas that you, as you watch TV, especially the world news, not so much ABC, CBS, NBC, because that's just garbage. Fox, I'm going to put that out there too. <laughs> watch, watch like a... Watch like a, a BBC. Something that gives you more of a world perspective. Um, it probably also is tainted one way or another. But at least it gives you more of a world perspective. A global perspective. And as you watch those things, pray for world missions. It's simple. Pray for world missions. Sign up. They have a Facebook page. John and Missy Camiola, sign up. Look at, watch what they're doing. Watch what's going on with Grace Gardens. And they just rescued last week, I think, two more women from a hotel brothel and brought them to Grace Gardens. They rescued two women from sexual abuse and rape and prostitution to bring them to safety and security so that they can hear the gospel without hindrance. Fifth, give sacrificially. 
Give sacrificially. We have our budget set up that when you give to Missio Dei Church, a portion of that goes towards $10,000 to support John and Missy Camiola. When you give to the church, you are financially supporting that mission. When you don't give to the church, you are hindering gospel work. It's not applying guilt. It's just being truthful to you. Be generous. Because you know what we would love to do? We'd love to support more. Six. As God directs, go as a short or long-term missionary. My wife has been on me to go to Joss, Nigeria since we've adopted the Camiolas. And not just her and I going to Joss, Nigeria to do a short-term missionary, but take our kids. Which is scary. It's kind of at the, the crossroads of Muslim and the Christian world. And we put our kids in harm's way. But I go back to what, what did uh, Paul say? You know, I endured all things. All things. You don't have to be a gifted as an evangelist or a translator or a teacher to be used in missions. Many missions are desperate for support personnel. John and Missy have been asking. Maybe it's time for us to go. Wouldn't it be great if we canceled church one Sunday because we're gone for a week as a church to just my Nigeria? I know some of you are going, I'm not taking my kids there. <laughs> but wouldn't that be a testimony? Next week we are going to be holding church. thousands of miles away in another country where we can sing songs of praise to God in different languages knowing that these are some of the elect from every tribe and tongue and nation these people have been purchased with the blood of Christ I have no clue what they're singing right now but my heart does we're singing about the same God And the beautiful thing is that God can use both young and old. New believers and old believers for the sake of His cause. So surely this God that we've been talking about for these past 68 weeks, the God that we come together and we, we worship, surely this God warrants more than nominal adherence, church attendance, or casual acceptance. I believe that this God warrants complete abandonment of our plans, complete abandonment of, of our possessions, our hopes, our dreams, and our lives. 
that we lay everything we have on the table before this God and say, use me. Use my, my life. Use my family. Use my church. Use everything I have and everything I am for the spread of your glory and this gospel to the ends of the earth. God, use me. And indeed, like Isaiah, the only logical response to this glorious God is, here I am, Lord. Send me. I've said this multiple times in our seven years together. I can't just do church. I can't just do church. I can't just do Sunday. There's more to my life and your life as a follower of Jesus Christ than, than what we're doing right now. I pray that you, your heart is stirred and the Spirit is saying, go. It might be going next door. It might be going through sending financially and sending people. It might be you going, literally. Short term or long term. It may be you praying for that child that you're carrying and saying, Lord, I pray that you will send this child to the uttermost parts of the earth with the good news. God, here I am. Send me. Amen. Let's pray. God, I do pray that not because out of guilt or uh, just good compelling words, but because we are stirred by the gospel, Lord, that we can lay everything on the table before you and say, Lord, use me. Lord, use my life my family, my church, my everything, my finances, my, my mental capacity. Use my ready and willing hands and feet. God, use me, everything I have and everything I am for the spread of your glory and this beautiful, powerful gospel that changes and transforms hearts and minds to the ends of the earth. God, use us. And Lord, I pray Lord, that it will be true. Every man, woman, and child is so compelled by the gospel that we cannot help but going and asking you to use us. Father, use this church in any way that you see fit. Use each and every individual, Lord, in any way that you see fit. God, I pray that you would give us open ears, receptive hearts, eyes that, that see, and 
feet that are ready to move. God, I pray for those who feel led or will be led to a life of vocational ministry not in this area. God, I pray for our kids. I pray that we will see children so respond to the gospel that they will be sent thousands of miles away to share the the good news of Jesus Christ, Him crucified and glorified. God, I pray that that we will be faithfully responding to the gospel by sharing the gospel, obedient to the Great Commission by sharing this good news with whomever we come in contact with. Give us ready and willing hearts and minds so that we desire to share Jesus Christ. God, as I prayed on Tuesday night, Lord, may this be the year of baptisms of people responding to yes and to Christ and so want to identify with Christ in his, his death and his resurrection that they desire to be baptized and say, yes, Lord, I am dying to my life and coming alive in Christ. So Lord, for 2014, may this be a year of rich missionary faithfulness. Make it so, Lord. Here am I. Here we are. Send us. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.